Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. So, like, as I was a kid, I grew up in California until about middle school, and then we moved out here to plant the church. And growing up in California, I would often go and visit with my grandparents. And when my parents said, hey, you're going to grandma and grandpa's house, there was usually five things that I could count on us doing, or one of the five. They had a pool, so I would most likely be swimming a part of the time I was there. Because of that pool, they also had or attracted a lot of frogs, so most likely I would be catching frogs or swimming. If I wasn't doing those two things, I was inside playing dice at the table with my grandmother and her magic pencil, as my grandpa would call it. I would later find out he named it that because it was the reason we lost all the time. I grew up being a loser. Some of you know what that means. You have that family member that has the magic pencil and also keeps score. If we weren't doing dice, if I wasn't messing with the frogs, if I wasn't swimming in the pool, I most likely was given a family size or party size bag of barbecue potato chips. And I would walk around the house with that bag and I would pick out a VHS tape Um, which just sounds so old saying. It was this massive catalog of brand new movies that my grandma would buy. She would buy every new movie that came out. Didn't matter the genre. So I learned really quick, like certain movies I wasn't allowed to watch, period, even if my grandma bought them because she would just buy them to buy them because they were there. Anyways, I'd pick up that cartoon. I'd sit on the couch. I'd eat my bag of Lay's barbecue potato chips for the next four hours till my parents came and picked me up. And then I realized that it was because of those amazing potato chips that in junior high, I would have to shop in the Husky section of the pant uh, section in Coles. Didn't even know that section existed, but I thanked those Lay's potato chips. If it wasn't doing those four things, my grandparents were the masters at collecting change. You know, we did change for change with the big, I think there were five gallon water jugs out there. My grandparents had that all throughout their, their bedroom. And they also had like the the glass jars that they would have milk in. They would empty out the milk, obviously, drink the milk. And they'd fill it up with change. And every so often, my grandpa said, hey, you can can drag one of those out of our room and start sorting if you like. And so that was exciting for me. You know, now I look back at it. I was just kind of working for my grandpa. But I would drag that thing out of their bedroom, bring it to the front living room. And with all my might as a five to seven-year-old, I would try to pour that thing out. And really, it was just dumping it. And whatever fell out, that's what I was going to play with that day. I was always on the search for the ancient coin, the 1970s penny. To me, that was the oldest. It would be so cool just to find something that was as old as my parents, you know? And I would find usually the dirtiest ones because it makes sense. The one that's been around the longest would probably be the dirtiest coin in the jug. So I'd separate out the dirtiest ones, like the black ones, the ones you can't even tell if it's a penny or not. And one day my grandpa comes up, he's like, hey, you know what, let's take your dirty pennies and let's put them in a bowl with some vinegar and salt. And we'll let them soak in there for a few minutes. We'll come back in about 10 minutes and see how they're doing. So we did that. I came back, started cleaning it off. And lo and behold, the dirt was coming right off those pennies. And I had never seen such beautiful pennies. I mean, they looked like they were coming out of the mint. And we have the Denver Mint here. So when we did eventually move here, like the shininess of real minted coins was like surprising. I was like, oh, I already have that. I've cleaned plenty of pennies in my time. But what was fascinating was seeing that when the dirt was removed, there was this beauty to be revealed. It didn't matter how old it was. It didn't matter how dirty it was. This chemical concoction that smelled really bad that my grandpa gave me was able to clean off this dirty penny. And I share this story with you not just because I want to look back at fond memories, but what we're about to dive into in Matthew chapter 21 
It's a scene where Jesus is coming to clean up his house. The message title today is Cleaning Up the House. And we're going to only cover a few verses, but in order to really get into it, I want to give you some background on what is happening before we get to this scene. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, this is an exciting time. This is an answer to prophecy. According to Zechariah 9.9, and also, well, it's blanking, hold on, Isaiah 62.11, there is a prophecy about Jesus entering into Jerusalem, or the Messiah entering into Jerusalem on a colt or a donkey. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, cover Jesus sending his disciples into town to go find that colt and donkey. They would later bring that to Jesus, and Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on this donkey. It was an answer to prophecy. Not only that, for those of you who are joining us on Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, verse 9, predicted the exact day Jesus would do this on this cult 500 years earlier. And to me, it just, it just amazes me. This, this section of scripture, and if you have more time later today, I suggest you read it, verses 1 through 11, is an exciting section of scripture. It is the fulfillment of prophecy. It's the fulfillment of Jesus riding into Jerusalem. There was a celebration. There was happiness. People were praising him. It was, it was just a fun, exciting time. That's how chapter 21 starts. Now, Jesus, the reason they were celebrating was because he already developed a reputation in the Galilean region, which is the region of area that surrounded the Sea of Galilee, or uh, it's also referred to as the Lake of Gennesaret. And Jesus was known as being the one who was feeding thousands. He was doing miracles from town to town. He was most likely known in the city of Capernaum uh, because that's where he was doing ministry. That was his home away from Nazareth, or Nazareth, excuse me, and also his home away from where he was born, which was Bethlehem. But he's entering in Jerusalem. There's an excitement. There is anticipation. They believe that he is going to be the Messiah to free them from the rule of the Romans. But then verse 12 happens, and things change a little bit. If you would, pick up with me in verse 12 of chapter 21 in Matthew. This passage is also found in Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 11, and also in Luke chapter 19. Matthew 21, though, is where we're going to be reading from verse 12 through 17. It says this, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house should be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And in verse 16, they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. Right away, this is a different kind of tone than the earlier verses, if you were to read chapter 21 from the beginning to this point. What's interesting is that in Mark and Luke, they don't have this situation happening right after Jesus enters Jerusalem. Instead, what they have is Jesus enters Jerusalem, and then he leaves Jerusalem to go stay in Bethany, and then comes back the next morning to this scene, the temple scene. However, I think Matthew is allowing this section to be back-to-back because he kind of wants it to have this shock factor. He kind of wants it to have this, whoa, this is different. This is a change of pace from the beginning of the chapter. 
You have a man who is anticipated. There's a celebration. He's coming in. This is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. And then in verse 12, he goes to the temple and starts creating what looks like chaos. Those tables and those chairs, he began to flip over. Now, imagine this for a second. If you were to go back in time, if we could do that, which would be so cool, but if we could do that, and you were standing there watching the temple and, and the tables and the, what was known as the system that was to be expected to be there, starting to get flipped over and, and just this chaos, the birds were flying away, you know, the animals were being scattered, it would be surprising to you. Example, if we had someone come into the church today and let's say pick the seat that you're sitting in and flipped you out of your seat, you would be shocked. You would be surprised. You'd be wondering, why is this happening? If you saw them flip the sign-up desk, which do not touch my sign-up desk, but if you saw them flip the sign-up desk outside with the papers everywhere and the pens flying, you'd be like, this is weird. Security would be up. We would all be going like, what is going on with this person? Why are they creating what seems like chaos in a place where this is to be expected? You know, if you really want to go extreme, they would see our camera people here serving faithfully. They go up on the little camera stage and they throw the camera off. You know, you'd be like, what in the world is wrong with that person? The same thing could be said in this situation with Jesus. He's come into the temple and he started to flip the tables of the moneymakers and the people selling the animals for sacrifice. Now, some of you may be wondering, like, what's the big deal? What's Jesus seeing? There has to be a reason. Jesus is God. Whatever he does is perfect and right. So give us some explanation. I'll give you some explanation. Back in the day, during temple worship time, you would be raising up a lamb, a perfect, spotless lamb. The reason you'd be raising up this innocent, perfect lamb is because one day you'd be taking it to the temple and you would be putting your mistakes or your sins on this innocent lamb. It would be transferred onto this lamb. You would present this lamb to the priest. The priest would go then kill the lamb, this innocent lamb that was now carrying your sins, your mistakes, as a sign of showing that you are now sinless or that you are now able to have relationship or communion with God. You would do this at the temple. Well, what Jesus is seeing is he's seeing people come with their animals. However, they would come to a priest who would have to inspect that animal. The priest would inspect the animal. He'd say, you know what? I'm sorry. There is something unclean about your lamb, the lamb that you have spent its whole life taken care of, probably better than your own child. You're making sure it's not getting hurt, making sure it's clean, like you are wanting to make sure because you just want to worship God. You are, you are making sure the thing is perfect. Gets to the priest, the priest is like, sorry, there's an imperfection, can't be used. However, at that table over there, you can go purchase a certified priest, cleaned, sanctified lamb. Like, okay, well, you know, I want to worship God. I'm going to go do it. So you go up to the table and you say, hey, can I buy this lamb? Can I buy this dove? Can I buy whatever the animal was? There was different tiers depending on how wealthy you were, what you could afford, what you could sacrifice. But let's say you brought a lamb, so you want to buy a lamb. Can I buy this lamb? Like, yeah, sure. Here's the price. You pull out your coinage. This coinage is Roman currency because Rome was the authority and power at the time. You hand it to them. They say, oh, I'm sorry. As you know, Rome is unclean because they are keeping us subjected to them. It is not of God's will. Therefore, we do not accept unclean money. However, there's another table right over there where you can exchange your money for what we do accept, which is called the temple shekel. So you, wanting to honor God, worship God, being a good believer, you go over and you walk over to the currency exchange table. You realize the exchange rate is outrageous, but you want to worship the Lord, so you give your money, you get a few temple shekels. 
take those temple shekels back to the table to go buy your animal. You realize you can no longer afford the animal that you wanted, so you'll satisfy, you'll be fine with a dove, which was one of the lowest forms that you could buy and present to God. So you take the dove, you take the priest, the priest says, yep, good to go. Transfer the sins onto the dove, the dove gets sacrificed, and you now can have this feeling of, I can commune with the Lord. For Jesus seeing that in his house, in his temple, in a place that was supposed to represent God's beauty, God's glory, a place where people could connect with God, for him to see this, it's a mess. What he sees is a system that is ripping people off from the relationship with God. He's seeing a system that has now praised, you could say, the idol of wealth or the idol of greed. They're using the temple and temple worship of the day to make money off of people who just desire to be right with God. And for Jesus, it was too far. He decided to start cleaning up. And the first way he decides to start cleaning up is by going over, flipping a table, and overturning the chairs. He then explains to us in verse 13 why he's doing that. He says, you've taken this house of prayer and you've turned it into a den of thieves. And he's referring to Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 7. He's combining two verses to make his point. He's saying, you guys have taken what the Lord has meant to be beautiful, what the Lord has meant to be a house of prayer, a house of communion, a house of relationship with God, and you have turned it into this den of thieves, this dirty, disgusting system of sin. So instead of being able to enjoy the Lord to the fullest extent that the temple was meant to bring for those who wanted to worship God, they were being ripped off from their heart and their desire to love the God that they so desired to love. Instead, they were being robbed. They were being manipulated. They were being used by those who were trusted with power to help connect people to God through the temple worship. So Jesus decides to clean up. What's interesting is that as soon as he cleans up this space, as soon as he starts cleaning up this mess, it says in verse 14 that the lame and the blind came to the temple and they were healed. The reason I focused on this passage in Matthew instead of uh, Mark or in Luke was because Matthew is the only one who shares that little piece of information. That as soon as he started this cleansing of the temple, as soon as he started cleaning up the house, that the lame and the blind were able to come into the temple and be healed by Jesus. Immediately, as soon as the space is cleaned, it becomes a place of healing for the broken. It becomes a place of healing for those who are hurting. It instantly becomes the place that it was meant to be, which is a place where people could glorify God at the temple. I guarantee you, if you were cured from your blindness, if you couldn't walk and you were cured and you were able to walk, you would be glorifying God in the temple. It became a place of worship once again, instantly. Now, for those of us who read this and you're like, I kind of expected Jesus to do this. Like, he, he has a right to do this. He has every right to come in and clean up his house. Obviously, he's God. And I've already explained to you how it would be shocking you know, how it would be weird. You know, something me and my dad have been doing recently, we've been sharing videos with one another. And we've been sharing videos of, well, they're commonly known as fail videos. And it's pretty easy to explain why they're called fail videos. It's because it's videos of people failing, doing something. Most of the time, they're pretty funny. You know, most of the time, it's like funniest home videos, you know, the show. And, but sometimes there's a few that are just like, oh, you know, they make you cringe. 
They make you, sh- you're just like, I don't, I'm not laughing anymore. It stole the laughter. And now I'm just worried about what happened medically with this person. Some examples. There is the classic one where the person is on the rope swing and wants to swing in and let go into the lake. And instead of letting go into the lake, they hold on still and they boom, right back into the, the cliff that they jumped off of. And you're just like, oh, you know, you know that they had to go find a hospital or an urgent care right after that. The other one is, you know, the classic, and these are my favorite to watch, but the classic skateboarder who's like, I'm going to grind on this rail. I got this. This is no problem. He's getting speed. It's like a 10 stair. He jumps up, skateboard slips. He lands on the rail, and you're just like, oh, that just looks so painful and so violent. And like I explained earlier, if we were to see someone come in here and start flipping chairs and tables, and we'd be like, what is wrong with this person? Why are they so violent? What is going on? We'd be shocked. Well, the same scene is happening with Jesus when he does this. I don't want to underemphasize this. In fact, I want to overemphasize it. Jesus is making a scene here in the temple, a scene that you would question. However, from what I've explained, he's cleaning up a mess that is being seen throughout the temple through the system of bartering for money and animals. But what I would like to tell you this morning is that Jesus is still in the business of cleaning up his house. If you would, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 6. We're going to look at a couple verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 6. One of the, just to give you some background on what this is, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, uh, the Corinthians, and he is using chapter Well, I'll just read it and you'll kind of get a better idea. But he's proposing a question. He wants to make sure they're aware of this point. And he actually does it twice, which is why we're going to look at chapter 3 and chapter 6. But chapter 3 and verse 16, he's asking this question. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Turn with me to chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 18. He is directly associating Uh, the sin of sexual immorality with their bodies. And in verse 18, he says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commands or commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And again, he asks the question, verse 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. As in God's possessing and not as you being God's. Paul's making this point saying, guys, he's making the point to the church in Corinth and he's making it to us this morning. You represent your life, your body is the temple of God. The purpose of you being on earth today is to not only have relationship with Jesus, your Savior, your Creator, but to represent Him to the world, to bring glory to Him, to those who need to see Jesus, who have yet to have a relationship with God, their Father. You are the temple today. You are the one that is supposed to be drawing people to the Lord through how you live your life, through how you act, through how you represent God daily. Now, if you're like me, which I believe many of you are, our temples can tend to get a little messy, or our temples can tend to build up some mess. And I'm not talking about crazy messes. I'm not talking, I was just watching, or I don't watch it often, but every now and then it's on. There's a show called Hoarders on TLC where you just see the houses are filled with stuff. Like, I don't even know how they have that much stuff, but they're just filled with stuff. 
And I'm not talking about that kind of mess. Obviously, if you act that kind of mess in your temple, the Lord is definitely wanting to clean that up. However, I'm talking about the little stuff. I'm talking about like, um, you know, maybe you have an anger problem and your anger problem comes out every now and then. Maybe you snap back a little too quick at your spouse. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's people at work. And over time, your little anger problem, you've kind of come comfortable with it. So much so that people kind of know you as, yeah, he's a Christian. He's saved. He's my dad. He's my, he's my mom. He's my, or she's my mom. No, he's my mom. She's my mom. And, you know, that's just him. That's his personality. You know, yeah, he gets a little upset sometimes. And you can fill in the blank. It doesn't have to be anger. I'm not just picking on people with anger. You can fill in the blank, whether it's greed, whether, you know, you just love working and don't love being with your family. It could be you have a tendency to argue a lot. Like you're just confrontational in a way that's not really to help anyone. You just want to prove a point. So that would be a sign of pride. You know, whatever that little mess might be, over time, that mess builds up in our temples. Over time, that mess builds up in our lives. And what that does, much like the system did in the temple, it detracts or it pollutes or it dilutes what we were called to do as God's temple, which is to draw people to the Lord through how we live and how we act. Now, some of us have gotten so comfortable in our sins, uh, in our messes, that's a nicer way of saying it, that we have decided to get a nice chair. This isn't a nice chair. It's actually a heavy chair from the middle school that we used to live in. But we've gotten a nice chair. Maybe your chair is like a lazy boy. You know, so you've had some time to invest in your sin a little bit. And you just sit down and you're like, you know what? This is the life. The system's working. People have accepted me for who I am. You know, everything's going well. I am the temple with the system that's set up. So, you know, you, you were you come to church and and you study your Bible and you're praying and you're living your life, the way at least everyone else sees it, everything seems to be fine. You know, you even say this, and we'll say it together just because I want to make sure this is clear. We say, Jesus loves me. On the count of three, ready? One, two, three. Jesus loves me. We say that. We believe that. We sit in our chairs and we're enjoying it. Everything is going as it should. The system is going well. Because our sins, we become so comfortable in it, we've set up a system to where we allow it in our lives. And what it's doing is it's diluting and it's polluting and it's hurting our temple, the temple of God, the temple that's supposed to be attracting people to the Lord. Now, I've heard a lot of excuses. I've had plenty of my own justifications for whatever those little messes are in my life. One of them that I've heard uh, recently is, you know, well, I have a temper because I'm Irish. You know, it's just part of me. It's what I am. You know, you can fill in whatever the blank is, but things like that where we become comfortable with, that's just, that's what it is. You know, that, that's just how I've been raised. You know, well, you know, so-and-so that, that helped raise me, had this issue, and I just kind of inherited it because that's who I loved and I imitated them. And you know what? Jesus loves you too, just like we just said. We just all said it. Jesus loves me. And because Jesus loves you, because his plan for your life supersedes any comfort or system that you've become comfortable with, He oftentimes comes into our lives in what may seem like a shocking, what may seem like almost violent way, and he'll start flipping the tables and the chairs of the systems of messes and sins that we have become comfortable with. And when he does that, it's, it's, like I said, shocking. You don't expect it. You're like, this isn't the Jesus from verses 1 through 11 who was coming in triumphal and who was so happy and being celebrated and everyone was excited. No, you're meeting the Jesus of verses 12 through 17 who came to the temple to clean up the mess. 
And as believers, as people who are living with the Lord, desiring to live for the Lord, especially when we get comfortable in these systems, it can be really surprising that Jesus is flipping over the chair that we were sitting in. So much so that you're questioning, is this even from God? There's no way that this can be from God because he's revealing to you, it's time to clean up my temple. You are robbing people from being able to meet me because of the attitudes and the lives that you're choosing to live. You are ripping off people who now don't see you as a Christian. They see you as the hypocrite. You're ripping off people that need me, that are desiring a relationship with me. They just don't know it yet. And it's your role as my temple, it's your role as my ambassador to show them that the need, the desire, the want that they are looking for is what you've already found. But because when they come to the temple and they're being ripped off, they're not able to see or enjoy the worship that I've intended for them through your life. Because they come to you and you've allowed this system or this mess to build up so much, it's actually blocking them from being able to see everything that I have for them. Because you're my vessel, you're my temple to be able to show my glory to my people, my creation. So the Lord will come and he'll start flipping up those tables, he'll start flipping those chairs, and we'll come to a place where now we have to respond. How are we going to respond? If you would, pick up with me back in Matthew chapter 21, verse 15. Matthew 21, verse 15. Whenever those chairs or those tables are flipped, we have a chance to respond. We can do it in one of two ways. It says in verse 15, But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, speaking of the healing of the blind and the lame, not of the flipping chairs and tables, and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And he said to them, Do you hear what these are saying? Or excuse me, they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. Right away, we see two responses to what Jesus is doing in the temple, what he's doing by disrupting the system, by disrupting the mess, by cleaning it up. You see the chief priests and the scribes, and you also see the children. The children are praising him. They're saying, this is God. This is the son of David. Yes, Hosanna, he is here. The chief priests and the scribes are looking at this situation saying, you're making more of a mess. Look at what you're doing. And imagine, again, going back into that situation, if he's flipping tables filled with coins, the coins are over the floor, the birds that he's flipping the chairs of the people that are selling the birds, the birds are probably flying away. It's probably a little bit of chaos with the animals that are being sold there. And the chief priests and the scribes are looking at this and they're saying, this is, what are you doing? Like, how can you, how can you do this? What is going on? You're making more of a mess than you ever have before. Why didn't you just let the system be? And the children are saying, you know what? This is Jesus. This is God, son of David. This is him. And we have the choice to make when the Lord begins flipping those tables and revealing those areas of mess that need to be cleaned up in our table or in our temple. We can say, you know, Jesus, what you're doing right now is actually making my life a bigger mess. And it's much harder to clean up. Or... Like the children, we can say, you know what? Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Thank you for revealing this in my life. I know it looks like a mess, but I trust you that what you're doing is actually not a mess. It's actually the process of you cleaning up what I've allowed to become messy. Now, 
I say that, and it's pretty easy. Obviously, I would hope most of us would be like, well, I want to be like the kid. I want to be super stoked and excited that the Lord is cleaning house. However, often than not, and I know this from experience, because again, if I was sitting here, if this message was being preached a month ago and I was sitting in your situation, I would be able to agree 100% with myself as I'm speaking. And some of you are realizing that the mess in your life that's being revealed, it's really hard because your flesh says, no, what this is, is a bigger mess. That's what it is. It's not the fact that Jesus is actually cleaning. It's the fact that he is making a bigger mess than there was ever before. He has disrupted my life. He has disrupted what I was comfortable with. He's disrupted this system that I've become complacent over. I was fine with what was going on in the corner of my temple, as long as it stayed in the corner of my temple. But Jesus, out of his love, says, no, it's time to clean it up. Why? Because I have a better purpose and I have a better plan for your life. It's not meant to rip people off. It's meant to heal people. It's meant for it to be a place for the broken, for those who are blind, for those who are lame, to come and receive healing. You are meant to be an avenue for people who need me to see me. But because of our flesh, it makes it really hard. It makes it really hard to, to, to separate those things that seem shocking or seem violent. It's hard to say, you know, this is really from the Lord, when in reality it 100% is from a loving God who loves you and desires to make sure that your life can be lived to its fullest potential. And your life can only be lived to its fullest potential if you're living it for the Lord, fully for God, and the messes in your temple are being cleaned up on a regular basis. However, I understand that it can be difficult because in my own life, I've had to look at these areas of sin, these areas of mess, and say, Lord, I am fine with it there. It's not bad. It's not disqualifying. It's not even things that people would care about. But the Lord convicted me about it. And when he convicts you about something, we have the choice to either say, no, that's not really happening. Or we can say, you know, Lord, you're right. Clean it out. I trust in your plan. I trust in your process that whatever you're doing here in my life, in my heart, in my temple, you're doing it for a purpose for your glory, your edification, and my benefit. But sometimes it's really hard to see that when you're looking at the coins on the floor. saying, you know what? I got to clean that up. Jesus is like, you don't have to clean that up. That was just me revealing to you that it's there. Together, me and you can clean it up. That's what I'm called to do. I am your God, your friend, your savior. And I'm also going to clean up the temple that I love. That's his promise to you and I today. And as we wonder, well, then how am I? Because maybe you're stuck right now. Because there, there's a few different seasons, right? You could be the season where you have not had your tables or chairs flipped yet. And maybe they haven't been flipped in a long time. But you're coming there. Like, this is just a heads up message for you. Some of you have just gone through that. And you're like, you know, the Lord just cleaned up my life in a crazy way. Some of you are staring at the coins on the floor and the tables and the chairs in your life right now kind of mixed up and, and scattered, and you're wondering, what am I going to do with that? And that's who I want to speak to right now this morning, because you're at a really pivotal point. You can either choose to be the chief priests and the scribes who are saying, you know what, Lord, you're ruining what was just fine. You have messed up my life, when in reality, he is cleaning up the mess. Or you could be like the children who say, this is Jesus. I can't believe he loves me so much that he's going to come and help me clean my mess. And we say that, and I say that even kind of jokingly, because very rarely are we in that spirit when we see trials or when we see things that interrupt 
our comfortable lives. Very rarely are we like, yeah, Jesus, you love me so much, you wrecked everything that was going on. That seems so perfect. Sometimes we don't even attribute that it's Jesus. Sometimes, oh, this is from Satan. It's from the enemy. And really it's not. It's your sin. You got dirty. So Jesus is like, I'm time, it's time to clean up. Let's do it. And when you're at this pivotal point, I want to help push you over the ledge. I want to help you understand this is the key of being able to choose having the children's perspective over the chief priests and the scribes. The key is faith. Oftentimes, childlike faith is described as the kind of faith that we are called to have, right? A, a kid will just say, you know what? I trust that my grandparents feeding me these chips is the best thing ever for me. You know, in reality, I look back, it probably wasn't. However, as a kid, I put all my faith in my grandparents saying that this bag of chips is legit. They love me. I could tell. When in reality, that faith was just faith that wasn't necessarily filled with understanding. That faith was just childlike faith. I'm just going to trust that my grandparents know what's best for me in this bag of lace. Oftentimes, we do the same thing, but we do it with a lot of other stuff that doesn't involve Jesus. You know, we, we put in faith in when we get in our cars in the morning and we jump out on the road and you're putting faith in everybody else that's driving around you. And you're hoping that they're going to obey the same laws that you are going to obey on the road. That's faith. You all put faith as you sat down on your chairs this morning, hoping that this chair would keep you in a sitting position safe, you know, wouldn't break under your weight. And most of you did, and I didn't see any chairs break, so awesome. Correct faith. Same thing happens with the Lord, though. When we're posed with these questions of these pivotal moments of, is this really from God? Is he really loving me by cleaning up this mess? Or is this not from God? The key is faith. Are you willing to say, you know what? I trust that the Lord knows what he's doing. And although this isn't necessarily how I would clean it up, I'm going to trust that this is how God knows to clean it up. And I can prove that through Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 through 13. If you turn there with me, it's verses that I'm sure you're familiar with. They're taught often, especially when I get to teach. I love going back to these verses because it's just such a direct promise. What God is doing is he's promising the children of Israel who are in captivity through the prophet Jeremiah that he loves them, he cares for them, although they're in captivity. In 29 verse 11, if you pick up there with me in Jeremiah, God is speaking, and he's saying, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me, and you will go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Like that promise was not only for Israel then, but it's for you and I today. The Lord's character doesn't change over time. He desires to give you a future and a hope. Actually, he doesn't just desire it. He has it planned out for you. However, there are times where a part of that plan means it's time to clean up the house. It's time to clean up what we've become comfortable with in our lives, what we've allowed space in our temple to have, which is just a big mess. Now, I don't know your personal situations. I don't know what those sins are in your life, but I know what they are in my life because the Lord's pretty good at bringing the conviction through the Holy Spirit. And I know that I have a choice each time that conviction comes up. I can either choose to embrace his cleaning process or I can choose to reject it, become bitter against it. I'm going to say, let's say you choose to embrace it after this morning. 
You're like, you know what? I'm going for it. I trust in God's cleaning plan. I want him to clean up the mess of my temple. Awesome. I don't want you to be surprised when those who become indignant about it come into your life. Because the enemy is quick to try to make dirty what the Lord has already cleaned. You're going to have people that come into your life that are saying, what are you doing? Everything was perfect. Why is this such a mess? Why are you doing this? And Jesus responds really clearly in an amazing way in verses 16 and 17 back in Matthew chapter 21. We're going to turn there with me as we close. Jesus shows us a way to respond to those who would come against us and against what the Lord's working out in our lives. Because the temptation will be to stop the cleaning process. Say, you know what? Nope, never mind. I can, I can clean up the coins and put the tables and the chairs back where they are. At least it was, it was nicer that way. It was more comfortable that way. Well, you're going to have those temptations. You're going to have people that come up to you and say, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you doing it God's way? They won't say that, but they'll, they'll come against what God is doing in your life. They'll question it. What Jesus says in verse 16 is this. Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. They've asked this question. Do you hear what they're saying? Do you get, why are they praising you for the mess you've made? He says, have you never read, which was a little jab to them because they're the chief priests and the scribes, the ones who are copying down the the word. They would definitely have read this portion. They would have known it by heart. He says, have you not read that what I'm doing, this is perfecting praise. What they're doing, excuse me, is perfected praise. This was prophesied. And then it says in verse 17, very quickly, then he left them and went out of the city of Bethany and he lodged there. And for you, maybe you are going through the cleaning process right now. You've already made that decision to say, you know what, I want Jesus to do that work in my life and he's doing it, but you're faced with people that are discouraging you, that are saying, no, you were fine just the way you were. Don't worry about it. Don't let God do this work in your life. Whatever that temptation is, this is how you handle it. You give them the truth. Nope. Jesus was correcting some sin in my life. This conviction was from the Lord, and it's time to clean it up, and then you leave. That's it. You give them the truth, and then you leave. And what that looks like for you in those relationships, it may mean that you need to end that relationship. It may need that it may need to end for a season. It may need to put you in a position where you're finally speaking truth again. You know, because the hardest part about cleaning our house, the hardest part, is that sometimes, unlike the day that Jesus was doing it, where they would have to clean up the, the coins in the table, our cleaning up looks more like us humbly going to someone and saying, will you forgive me for fill in the blank? That's difficult. That's hard. It's hard, one, to see that you have a mess in the corner of your temple. It's hard to see that Jesus reveals it by wrecking that system. But then, after coming to terms with the fact that you have this in your life, now you have to clean it up. And part of cleaning that up is doing it the way that Jesus would do it, which is through humility. Humbling going to someone or whatever that situation is and saying, will you forgive me? for misrepresenting God to you in the way that I acted? Will you forgive me for not being, you don't have to use these words, but just for your thought process, not being the temple I was supposed to be for the Lord, for misrepresenting God to you through my actions? Because I became too comfortable in my system. I became too comfortable in the sins that I ignored that the Lord wants to clean up. That's hard. 
That's like where you get down on your knees and you're starting to scrub to clean. However, there's a blessing that comes with that. Because just like when Jesus cleaned out the space, immediately it became a place for the broken, you're going to see immediate satisfaction knowing that your relationship with the Lord is right. The things that were messing up your temple, the things that were misrepresenting God in your life are no longer in your life polluting it or diluting it. You now get to have that sweet fellowship that says, once you ask for forgiveness, it's all, like, I am yours. Like, we get to fellowship again. I get to forgive you. Because the Bible says, like, if you don't forgive, then how is my Father in heaven going to forgive you? If you don't ask for forgiveness, like, how are you going to be able to ask God for forgiveness? Like, how does it work for you and God, but not for you and that other person? It doesn't do that. You can't just work one way and not the other way. It works both ways. If God's willing to forgive you, then one, you need to be willing to forgive someone else, or you need to be willing to ask someone to forgive you. Put yourself in that place of humility. And the blessing from that is that the Lord gets to instantly redeem that area that was lost to the system of sin. That is the best and most satisfying thing you will ever feel in your life. It's more satisfying than the system that you became comfortable with. It's more satisfying than the chair that you have been sitting on for so long. It's the most satisfactory thing that you could ever experience. Why? Because you are in right relationship with the God who has a great plan for your life, a hope and a future, a God who has immense promises available to you. But sometimes we get complacent and we settle for the mess. And my hope is today, church, that you would leave here knowing this in your mind the next time Jesus says, you know what? You've been sitting down too long. You've been behind that table for far too long. It's time to clean up. And when you get shocked, because you will be shocked, when you are wondering what is going on, that you ask the Lord, are you cleaning something up? And when he says, yes, I am cleaning up the mess in my temple, you would say, I trust your process. I trust your cleaning ways. Clean me as much as you need to. That would be my heart for you today and my heart for me because we're called to be those temples and those lights to the world that needs, the blind and the lame that need to be healed by the one that we have been healed by, whose name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you're not just uh, a God who is distant from us, Lord, but you're a God who desires to be in our lives. You desire to be in the dirt. You desire to be in the mess to clean it up. Lord, I thank you that you are willing to disrupt those systems that we become so comfortable with, that you are willing to reveal to us and then respond to us. Lord, give us the truth in your word, what it is. We've, we've taken your house of prayer, Lord, and we've turned it into whatever it is that fills our desires. Lord, you're willing to, to reason with us. And then you're willing to renovate with us, Lord. You're willing to clean. You're willing to, to help us really hold that potential that you have placed in us since we were born, Lord. You designed us to reach the world. You designed us to reach and represent you the best that we possibly can. That's only when the mess is clean. So I pray over this message, Lord, as we head out. I, I just want to thank you, Lord, for who you are. I pray for those who are here listening, not just online or on the radio, but specifically those sitting in these seats this morning, that you would strengthen us so that we might be more open. We'd be more ready to clean up the messes in our temples for your glory and for your honor. Now, before we go any farther, you may be sitting here and you're like, you know, I don't even have a relationship with Jesus yet, you know, and, and right now you just have a huge mess in your life, 
It's just massive. And you're, I, I don't even have help to help clean up this mess. That's what you're faced with this morning. It's not that you have a little mess, but you have a huge mess. And what I want to share with you this morning is that you can have the helper that those who are sitting around you, and myself included, have in Jesus. You can have the one who comes up and says, hey, I see there's some dirt. I need to clean it up. Jesus made a way for that by coming down, living a perfect sinless life, then being crucified, dying, and being raised again three days later. He was that little lamb. And he's saying to you today that I can take your mistakes, I can take your mess, I can take your sin upon me so that you might have a right relationship with your creator, with God. In fact, I've already taken that. All you have to do is accept it. Are you willing to give your mess to Jesus? Are you willing to allow him to clean your life? If that's you today, if you're like, you know, that's me. I got a mess that needs to be clean and only Jesus can do it. Would you just stand so I could pray with you? I want to lead you in a prayer of starting that relationship. If that's you today, you're only standing so I could see you. But you're also standing to show to yourself, standing, confessing that you need help from a God who's willing and able and ready to help you. Amen. The Lord is waiting and excited to come in and help clean out the mess. Not only that, he gives us his word, which is what we've been studying out of, to give us even more help, encourage us with the promises and the strength that he's willing to give us so that we might be able to not only just have a clean temple now, but something I didn't mention in the message is that this was actually the second time Jesus came to clean the temple. He did it the first time in John chapter 2, which speaks to me is that he understands that even after he cleans us out, we have a tendency just as we are, because we are human, to allow that mess to build back up. Jesus is like, I'm not done just one time. I'll come back and I'll keep helping every time there's a mess in your temple. For those of you who are standing, I want to lead you in a prayer. And simply, you're just confessing that you believe in Jesus. You believe that he died to give you a gift, a gift of eternal life by covering your mess, by covering your sins with his perfect life. Say something like this. You don't have to repeat exactly, but anything close to this. Dear God, I repent from my sins, my mistakes that have separated me, that have dirtied me from having a relationship with you. I ask, Lord, that you would forgive me of my mistakes and my sins. I ask, Lord, that you would strengthen me from this day forward to be able to follow after you. I believe that you lived, that you died, and that you rose again in order to save me. I believe it was an act of love. Lord, be with me as I step into this new season of life, the best season of my life, as I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.